Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome into episode 124 of the Source of Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one, the only, Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? Amazing now that I'm finally over whatever stomach bug I had for 48 hours. So if you guys haven't seen me on Twitter the last few days, uh, there's a reason I couldn't even uh, get out of bed. So I, I'm very glad you're feeling better, Sean. I'm the, I'm very sorry. So we were going to record a couple days ago, kind of give some immediate uh, post game thoughts on the uh, exhibition game against Kentucky Wesleyan, kind of some aftermath things, especially after the Adembona commitment to UCLA and those sorts of things. So uh, Sean was deathly ill, and we didn't want to have him throw up everywhere and just have a very horrible experience on this show. So we just did it to me. We start, we, we, yeah, I know. So we, we decided to hold off until you were better and you were healthy and you are now both of those things. So we're very glad that you are back and in tip, tip top shape. So we're going to, we're going to throw a little audible in here. We're going to kind of discuss some overarching leftovers from the first exhibition game. Obviously not going to talk like, 
you, you know, stats and numbers and, and things like that, because, you know, the, you guys have already digested that exhibition game a little bit. You know what, uh, what happened and, and all that. So we'll, we'll kind of talk about uh, our kind of how our season expectations have changed after seeing this team in action for the first time, expectations going into this upcoming uh, exhibition game on Friday, um, and then obviously going into New York City, going into the Champions Classic against Duke, kind of uh, if, if our thoughts have changed any at all and those sorts of things and then yes we'll talk a little bit about uh you know a Dembona's commitment to UCLA and how that came to fruition and um, I kind of posed a question slash a thought on Twitter and I wrote about it on, on KSR about uh, the Kentucky struggles to land big big man commitments in the last couple of years so we'll, we'll kind of talk about those types of things uh, but Sean, before we get into that, we've got a new advertiser and partnership. I am confident Sources Say podcast listeners will absolutely love. Look, I've just started dipping my toes into the sports betting world. Brand new to it, but I know how quickly the lines can change. And when you've got a lot riding on those odds, Sean, it pays to stay ahead of the curve. So before placing your bets, do yourself a favor and listen to the daily tip presented by BetMGM for the best betting analysis and information. Host Michael Jenkins and Chelsea Messenger are there to bring you the biggest and best takeaways and make sure you know everything you need to know to bet smarter. And with so much changing between last night's games and today's odds, it's, it'd be absolutely crazy not to. I love the banter between Michael and Chelsea. They're knowledgeable about every team and matchup, potential X factors, players on cold streaks, surprise standouts, you name it. They've got it. Always bring on fantastic guests and experts in their fields. I always love when they bring on bookmakers and bet MGM experts to get their fresh take on the action. As much fun as it is to bet on the game, it's even more fun when you've got the inside scoop ready to bet with an edge. Tune in to the daily tip presented by bet MGM. Listen weekdays, 6am to 9am Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Sean, let's jump right into the action um, Kentucky wins in blowout fashion against Kentucky Wesley and a lot of good things some bad things uh, but let's just kind of jump into your takes following the first uh, exhibition game le- following uh, the blue white game um, and, and as we approach this this final exhibition matchup against Miles College just good to see it get started uh, just good to see them out there running up and down the floor and kind of finding out what they have and some rotations and who's the first guy off the bench. And we saw it was two freshmen and uh, just seeing all the shots go in. Tata Washington taking over in the second half and hitting big shots. I, I just thought it was very good just to kind of see basketball and good basketball for what it was. I mean, you didn't get to see many Kentucky wins a year ago. So even though it was an exhibition, I'm sure fans enjoyed it. And you got to see a lot of the the versatility that this roster has across the board, the the depth of shooting, the the depth at guard. Uh, you also got to see some of the concerns and things that we're going to be concerned about heading into not just the second exhibition Friday night, but the game against Duke Tuesday night. That's hard to believe it's already here, honestly. Had an opening line come out today and everything for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. We're going to be taking sources, say, up to New York City. We're going to have a lot of fun there. Um, in terms of spe- uh, specifics, I was, you know, obviously you're impressed with Ty Ty Washington. Ty Ty is the guy that everybody's hyped up to, you know, hyped up from the minute he set foot on campus. We liked him a lot in what we saw uh, down at the Iverson Classic and watching him late in his high school career and and kind of his transition into, uh, you know, he's ranked top 
12, top 19, in, you know, top 20 in the country, uh, depending on which recruiting service you look at. Uh, I, through this point, I question how we, those rankings even came about because uh, I don't see how there are 11 through eight, you know, the 24 seven has him at 19, had him at 19 in their final rankings. I don't know how you see nine or 18 freshmen in high school and college basketball that are better than Ty Ty Washington. I think he's just been absolutely phenomenal to start his time. And I think there's still, um, he's still growing. He's kind of working through and, and kind of getting a, a feel for the pace of the game at this level and those types of things. He's obviously been an early standout, but Sean, I continue to be just absolutely blown away by Savir Wheeler and what he does to this team and the way he's able to push the pace of the game. And, and it really feels like this, uh, that piece of Saver Wheeler, that's what this team was missing last season uh, in its biggest struggles, a true playmaker, somebody that's going to beat you off the dribble. I don't think last year's roster had a single player that was able to do what Saver Wheeler does. He's the straw that stirs the drink. Like that's, he's not their best player, but he's their, he's the guy that does the one thing that they need him to do. And with all these shooters, it just makes him better. I know I've said this on multiple platforms the last five or six days and some things with you that I, I would have hated to have Savir Wheeler on last year's Kentucky team because it did not make sense because of the, the lack of outside shooting, the lack of spacing. You put him on this team with this, these pieces, and I think not only does Savir Wheeler become the best version of himself, but I think he helps Kentucky be its best version as well with the way that he's able to put the ball in spots, get two feet in the paint. You saw the speed. You saw the separation. The height with him, John Calipari doesn't take a lot of smaller point guards. We know that. Tyler Ulis was incredible. Savir smaller, but he has enough wiggle and burst, Jack, that he can create that separation not only to get others involved, but to also get his own in transition and things. And uh, I think what you're going to see is I think Savir is going to be the starter, and I think Tata Washington is going to be the closer. And I'm not talking starting the game and ending the game. I'm talking the guy that creates everything for him. But when it gets late in the clock, late situations in games, you need a bucket and MSG Tuesday night. I believe Tata is your guy. Yeah, I completely agree. And I had this big kind of overall takeaway after watching Kentucky's exhibition win over Kentucky Wesleyan. That so last season, and we've we've touched on this kind of take throughout this, you know, the preseason leading up to this this year. Um, Davion Mintz was thrown into a role last season. That So uh, talking to people around the program at the time of his commitment um, when he announced his transfer from Creighton to Kentucky, you've talked to people inside the program and they said this kid is a perfect fit for what we're trying to do. Devin Askew is going to be the guy to end the year, but we needed a, a transitional piece. We needed somebody that's going to be that placeholder piece until Devin is ready. Uh, De- when the season started, they wanted Davion to kind of be the guy to, to run the show a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of be that, that leader, that mentor at the point guard position that, that other, you know, guys like Devin Askew and even Terrence Clark to a to lighter extent uh, that they could lean on to, to kind of show, you know, show them the ropes of, of how to play that position. And obviously it didn't go that way. They tried Devin Askew from the start of the year and things, weren't very successful and by midway through the year going into the, the tail end of the year Davion Mintz kind of took over that starting role and he thrived I thought that he was arguably the the brightest spot on that roster outside of Isaiah Jackson uh, certainly the the best returning talent that that you know you 
could kind of pencil in as a potential guy to return. He just fit very well in that role, and he embraced that role really well. But, Sean, I think when Kentucky decided to bring him in, they wanted him to be the spark plug, plug-and-play uh, you know, scoring spark off the bench. That that in an ideal role, you would have Devin Askew, B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, Isaiah Jackson, and Olivier Saar as your main five, and then Davion Mintz would come in as that, that you know, if we need a, a three-pointer here, we need a, a, a playmaker to come in, you know, somebody to just kind of give us that spark. He was that plug-and-play guy off the bench. And he didn't wasn't able to embrace that role. And he did well in the in the one that kind of, came to fruition out of his control but I, I really think that this season he's going to be able to go back to that role that he was signed here to play and thrive in I think that it is best for him and his future as a basketball player you look at guys like Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams and those type of six-man scoring spark guys that we see in the league there is a there is a place for those type of players in the league and the professional routes you know overseas and those type of things I think that this role is perfect for Davion Mintz, and I think that it's I think it's perfect for the Kentucky basketball team as well. It is, and I think that when when you go across the season, there are glue guys on every single team that just hold it together. Uh, not only when things are tough during the day and during the weeks throughout a long season, but during games as well. And I think that's what you're going to get, in Davion Mintz. I think Davion Mintz is going to be the glue that kind of holds this thing together. He he did his best to keep it together last year with that team and at the end of the year when you thought hey Kentucky's got a spark they've got a chance they just beat Auburn they're they're playing good basketball they beat Tennessee Davion Mintz was a big reason why that they had that late push I just didn't work out last season but I think that that's going to be your glue guy and the, and the biggest reason I think so is just because that he knows in so many roles I mean he's played so many different roles in his collegiate career he was the leader on a Kentucky team last year he uh, was a glue and, and role piece at Creighton when he was there. He And then college basketball is valuable to him, Jack. I mean, he's had multiple injuries. He took advantage of this uh, this blanket waiver in this extra year. And I just think that that's a guy that's not going to care if he gets five or if he gets 15. He's not going to care if he plays five or if he plays 15. He's going to do every single thing that John Calipari wants him to do. He uttered those same words this week in a media session that whatever Cal wants him to do, that's exactly what he's going to do. And that is just a huge asset to your program. And when you walk into Madison Square Garden Tuesday night and you play Duke, John Calipari knows what he's getting from, from Davion Mintz. He yeah. knows what he's getting from Davion Mintz in game 31. That, that's what you get with a guy like Mintz. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I, I was actually the one that, that asked that question to Davion because I, I wrote that, that article about him after the exhibition win. And I thought his answer was so professional and so mature uh, where he didn't he, – he respectfully disagreed with me, where he, where he said, I, I understand, and yes, I think that's what they wanted out of me whenever I got here, but let's make one thing clear. I'm confident in my abilities that I can be a star of a team if, I, if, if they need me to be. I see my – he said, I don't see myself as a plug-and-play bench piece. I see myself as a whatever this team needs me to do. If it means – start this you know start for this team and and be the the star and and take a bunch of shots and and make a bunch of shots I I can do that sure put me in that position I'm going to thrive but if you if coach Cal asked me to be that winner and that spark off the bench I can do that too but I just don't want to be limited to a bench scorer 
he thinks that he's more than that. And, and to give him credit, and I told him that, uh, to give him credit, he thrived in that exact role, exactly what he's talking about last season. Like you said, he was the glue that was probably the only thing that held last season's team together down the stretch. He was that person. So uh, I just – I just develop more and more respect for this kid every time we talk to him, every time we see him play, because I, when, when word kind of leaked that Davion Mintz was going to transfer from Creighton to Kentucky, it was like a, oh, I mean, okay, if that's where Kentucky's going with this, I mean, I guess that's fine, but I wasn't all that optimistic about him as a as that guy. I thought that they, they needed more from from them uh, to be that kind of complimentary piece of Devin Askew. I, I thought that he that UK needed a little bit more, and he's just continued to prove me wrong every time he steps on the on the floor. I think he's just an absolutely phenomenal basketball player, uh, even better professional mind. I know he's not a professional player yet, but uh, just the way he handles everything and then, you know, talking about this NIL deal that they signed with the, you know, cryptocurrency and M NFT, you know, he said that, uh, you know, some of the bigger name players on the team were having conversations with this cryptocurrency and NFT company and word kind of spread that they were doing that and they said no I you know I want this to be a team effort I want everybody on the team to get this he's just such a team first player and and uh, just a win at all cost mentality type guy and I think that is something that was so valuable I mean shoot without Davion Mintz last season who the hell knows what would have happened last year but uh, I mean I think that his value on this team is just so, so just endless. I mean, there's whatever role Cal needs him to play or whatever, uh, you know, he, he's, however he's thriving at that given moment. Uh, I mean, he's, he's going to win Kentucky a lot of basketball games this season. And I think uh, Kentucky fans should be grateful that he decided to come back because I know he had a tough decision to make. He's 24 years old. Uh, I mean, it's, that's, it's tough for any guy to, turn down those pro options knowing that he's kind of an older guy is is that timeline's not getting any shorter his his professional clock is already ticking so for him to come back and accept that role and be the player that he is Sean I, I'm just I'm just blown away time and time again by Davion Mintz I am too and I think you brought up a good point there he's going to win Kentucky a lot of games and it's going to be those plays in the second half where Kentucky needs a spark on the road or they need that transition bucket that's going to blow the roof off Rupp Arena, that's what Davion Mintz is going to do. I just can't wait to see, as this thing plays out, what exactly these roles become. And we know with every single team, Jack, roles change. Like uh, the starting lineup, let's say Tuesday night at MSG, that might not be the starting lineup when the Cats go to Vegas yep. in a month or so. Like You just know that these roles are going to change. But the thing that I like about it, is I think they've got so many quality pieces that these roles can change based on what they need throughout this season. You're going to have guys that are going to to kind of move the needle early. Those guys will fade for a little bit, and you'll have other guys. It, it's just the collective effort from this group that I. It's going to be hard to for me to actually identify who the who their stars are for a bit because I think you're going to want to see them play Duke. You're going to see them play Ohio State and some of these other teams. But it, it's going to be a fun season because they have quality depth. They have quality pieces. Some guys are going to be left out that are good basketball players, but that's just the nature of the beast at Kentucky and anywhere. And uh, just uh, really excited to get this thing started. We've got one more exhibition. We'll, we'll get a few things from there. I think you're going to see Cal maybe tighten it up a little bit to kind of go with what he's wanting to go with Tuesday night. Like, who's been playing the best? We've now had another full week of practice before we see this team in action again. They had game film now. 
what are some adjustments that they make going into Miles College? And then from that, there's not much time to prepare for Duke. Yeah, I think my biggest question coming out of the first exhibition game going into this next one against Miles College, and then certainly, underline exclamation mark, certainly the biggest kind of takeaway and, and worry, I guess, that, that I have for this team going into it is that front court depth. depth. I'm, I'm really interested to see what else this team has outside of Oscar Sheboy. We got our first little taste of that potential issue uh, against Kentucky Wesleyan when Coach Cal, there was, there was you know, whispers earlier in the day that Oscar may not even play at all um, with a you know minor injury. He later announced that it was a hip issue. Um, he played, I believe, 19 minutes, I think. Um, you know, it was a blowout, so there really wasn't a, a huge need need for him from start to finish. But the question was always, what is this team going to be if Oscar can't be on the floor? What you know, who else is going to step up in his absence if it's due to foul trouble, if it's due to injury? And, and I know he dealt with some foul trouble quite a bit at West Virginia. So that was always going to be a talking point, uh, but especially with injury. I mean, this was kind of something that uh, we all, when Kentucky was pushing for Kofi Coburn and Jalen Duran, it was like, well, you know, Oscar is not going to be able to give you 38 minutes a game. So you, you got to have, are you comfortable enough with those secondary pieces to make enough of an impact to turn down a Kofi Coburn to, um, you know, not land a J- Jalen Dern. They pushed hard for him all the way down the stretch, but they didn't end up landing him. Was it going to be enough? And Sean, I'm curious, what were your thoughts on Damian Collins and Lance Ware as those secondary pieces stepping up in Oscar's absence? Do you think it's going to be enough going into the season? To me, it's going to have to be by committee. I don't think it's going to necessarily be one guy. I think you're going to have moments where Lance is that guy, and I think you're going to have moments where uh, Damian's that guy. Uh, you might even, when, when Toppin's healthy, you might even have to push and play him in some spots with him being the biggest guy on the floor. I, I don't know. I, I, it is my biggest concern with if Oscar goes down with foul trouble or, or something happens throughout a game and he has to come out. I, I am concerned with it. I thought Lance was good in that game, but I want to see more of Lance and consistent Lance. I want to see Lance over the course of four or five games do that. Uh, We know last year Lance would play 30 minutes at Mississippi State, and then he'd turn around and play two minutes against Vanderbilt or something like that. You just need someone to emerge that can be consistent. And to me, it's not about points. You don't have to have somebody at that spot that's going to go score 10 or 12 points a game. You just need somebody that's going to rebound their position and not be a liability on the defensive end. The thing I like about Damian Collins is you can't teach what he has. It's the length. It's the athleticism, the ability to affect shots at the rim. He can, to me, he can affect the game more than Lance Ware can on defense. But Lance can affect it more in rebounding. That's why I think it's going to be a by committee. What does Kentucky need in that moment is my takeaway. for And, and you'll see that kind of shake itself out over the next couple of weeks. I think the – I think we're going to see it Tuesday. I think Tuesday is going to be the what do we have moment for this team. What is this team ceiling? Because I, I'm very confident in Kentucky's guards against Duke, and I think that's going to be the difference maker, and that's prob- I think that's why Kentucky's going to beat Duke. I, I truly uh, see, see Kentucky coming out on, on top. But Paolo Bencaro, as I've said on this podcast 10,000 times, and you guys have heard it over and over again. I know that you're sick and tired of hearing it. 
but Paolo is a national player of the year contender. I've said it when he was a high-profile recruit that Kentucky was all in on. He is the absolute truth. He is going to be an instant 20-10 and 10 guy at the college level, and I don't know if Kentucky has a player on their roster that can guard him. I, I know uh, they're going to probably try to throw Oscar at him, and uh, I just don't know if Oscar has the, the lateral quickness to, to match that, and and, you know, Mark Williams is a seven-footer in his own right down low. Who on Kentucky's roster is going to guard that? Do Does Kentucky throw Oscar at him just in terms of, of brute strength and then go for versatility against Paolo because he's such a versatile, you know, inside-out threat? Do you go with Jacob Toppin on him? Do you go with Keon Brooks on him? Maybe Bryce Hopkins. I know that they've gone against each other, uh, you know, on the EYBL circuit and, and – you know, those types of things. So I know they're, they're slightly familiar with each other. So maybe you just go with the true freshman against them, you know, a freshman on freshman. How do you approach that matchup and more, you know, more broadly, I guess, uh, you know, the, the entire front court with Paolo and, and Mark Williams versus what Kentucky has to offer. That, I think, is going to tell the full story. If Kentucky is able to contain both of those pieces or even, you know, get the better of those, those pieces, A, they're going to beat the absolute hell out of Duke and it, it, I think that's good, very uh, optimistic for the long-term expectations for this team but B I, I think if they're able to contain them and, and play pretty well against them I think that Kentucky fans in those national title hopes uh, I think that those are very real things I think that this is this Tuesday evening matchup is going to be quite telling in terms of Kentucky's overall ceiling uh, for for this season I think it starts with the front court John and I think on most nights Jack I think that Kentucky's backcourt's always going to be the the deciding factor when it comes to like advantage. Like they're going to have an advantage in the backcourt in almost every game that they play because of the depth at guard, the depth at shooters, the the experience they have in the backcourt. I think a lot of the questions as the year goes along, it's always going to be centered around the front court. And not only front court pieces like with Oscar Sheba and who plays behind him and offensive production and things like that and rebounding, but how do they match up? Like are they going to be able to commit to that four out one and look offensively? If they need to go big, if they need to play, like, is there a situation where they play Lance and Oscar together? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, Damian Collins, we know that he's going to play alongside Oscar some. We know he's going to play alongside Lance some. Uh, going into that Duke game Tuesday night, you you hit it on the head. Uh, Palo Bancaro and all those bodies inside. That's going to be where Kentucky has to figure things out. If not, then you're going to need a very hot night shooting from their perimeter, and uh, that's the thing that you don't want to have to rely on, but. Guards win you games in March. Guards also win you games in November. True. Good guard play carries college basketball. That is the different – if you look across national championship teams and you're always going to see good guard play. Those teams that beat Kentucky, those UConn teams, what beat them? Guard play. Every single year. Shabazz Napier, Kimball Walker. I know that's stuff Kentucky fans don't want to relive, but that's just the way that it goes. And – and that's why I think I like Kentucky in this matchup. I think Kentucky's got good enough guards. They've got experienced guards. And I think uh, they're ready for the big stage. And you're going to see a guy like Ty Ty Washington emerge and do his thing, similar to what Tyrese Maxey did a couple of years ago in MSG. I, I could see Ty Ty Washington having that big moment as well with uh, all eyes on him at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I'm, I agree with that as well. I'm uh, curious to, to know what – are your final um, kind of final things that you need to see before that that high profile matchup at Madison Square Garden? What are those things that you need to see against Miles College on Friday evening 
uh, to kind of give you that last little shot of, of optimism, that, that last little um, bit of hope going into to the Duke game that makes you really think, okay, what is the thing that, that Kentucky can show you on Friday night that will make you go, all right, Kentucky's ready to go against, against Duke? Or, or is there anything that they could show? I want to see a really good start. I want to see them jump out fast, not be sloppy. But defensively, I want to see them be more disciplined. I want to see them have a little bit of a jump from game one exhibition to game two exhibition, more bought in collectively with all five on the floor. Uh, Ball screen, defense, everything. Rebounding. I think that's where you want to see. Like, I would like to see the defense shirt up before you go into Duke because if not, then that's going to get exposed. I want to see the interior defensive get get better too. Uh, Lance Ware, I want to see what I saw last week and then in the blue-white game, I want to see it again. I want to see if Lance can sustain success because if he can't sustain success in the exhibition schedule, I have a hard time believing it's going to happen when you get into Duke and you get into this D1 schedule and going throughout the month of November, December. I want to see some of those guys be able to sustain it. Yeah. And and then does he shorten the rotation at all? That's the other thing that I'm looking for. Does Does he condense it? Or does he keep it the way it is and playing a lot of guys? How, you know, how much run does Dante get? How much run uh, does some of these other guys get? We know that they're not 100% healthy. We're still waiting to see exactly what this rotation is going to look like when they are healthy. Because you have, you, you have to think that Jacob Toppin and C.J. Frederick will have roles on this team. So who this might be, is this one of these final opportunities somebody has to kind of show something? Yeah, I think uh, talking to Jay Lucas today, he brought up, Jacob Toppin and and said that he didn't confirm that he was going to be playing tomorrow against Miles College, but said that he was going to be ready and and that there wasn't a a real concern about him being ready for Duke and all that. So if you were to ask me, I feel, and I talked to someone close to CJ last week, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if both of those players got a little bit of run against Miles College just to get get their feet wet a little bit, get uh, their feet underneath them just a, just a hair because you don't want to run those guys out on the floor for the very first time against Duke. You want it to be uh, at least some semblance of of a of a preseason exhibition, you know, warm up opportunity before you really throw them in with the Sharks because they've been out for so long and the conditioning isn't right. And uh, if anything, if they don't play against Miles College, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see them again again until the game after Duke, whatever that is. I don't have the schedule in front of me right now, but mm. I, I feel like they're, they're going to – That's a very good point. I feel like we're either going to see them tomorrow night or we're going to see them the game after Duke. I just don't you're, see them throwing in. You're not working anyone into it in the opener against Duke. Like, you're, whatever they're rolling with tomorrow night is what they're rolling with Tuesday night because then you're going to break down and, and get you got those game reps – and then you've got those practices. He's going to key in on what he's wanting to do with Duke. I think that's a very fair point. I think it's Robert Morris is on November 12th, if I'm not mistaken. Bobby Moe getting getting an old uh, NIT loss out of the way and then the, the rematch after that. I think that would be a great opportunity. But, again, I talked to somebody close to CJ. Uh, actually, before the game against Kentucky Wesleyan, and they said, "Yeah, I think they're going to give them a shot against uh, against Miles College next next Friday." So that was at least a little bit of of optimism. Even though Coach Cal, right after the game, said he hadn't practiced, I have no idea what the deal is with him. So there's such a disconnect between win players. And win. <laughs> at this point, I really don't care. I mean, when when I see a, a kid 
walk up to the scorer's table and check in for the first time, that's when I'm going to get excited about it because I'm so tired of dealing with the miscommunication. And uh, there was one time it, it was hilarious. I put out that CJ Frederick thing, um, uh, set late September, I think where I said, or maybe it was a couple weeks into September, whatever it was. Um, I had heard that somebody reached out and said, Hey, uh, CJ's cleared. We're, we're good to go. You know, let's party. It's going to be a fun mobile. I put that out. And within like a couple hours, somebody in UK reached out and said, um, he technically hasn't practiced yet. He's, uh, um, not 100% cleared yet. He's probably going to be cleared in the next week or two, but just thought I'd put it out there. It's like, all right, at this point, whatever. I'm, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to entertain this. You, you tell me when he's going to play then, if, if that's the case, because I'm sick of and, dealing with, with that stuff. And this is, and I'm not comparing the two because they're two totally different players. But if you ask me right now, who Kentucky needs more to get to where they're wanting to go? of Jacob Toppin or C.J. Frederick, I've got to go Toppin. Like, I think Toppin is just critical to what this team is doing. I think Kentucky needs Jacob Toppin to be good. Like, I, I really do. Because just of his versatility defensively, the ability to play one through four, if you need him in a pinch, I think you could get away with his length and athleticism if you had to go super small and play him at the five. Let's say it does, it's not working with Lance Ware and you want to go with a big athlete like that, you, you can get away with it uh, for a stretch if you need to. I, I think that they need Jacob Toppin to be good. But C.J. Frederick's going to do the one thing that he's always been good at, and that is shooting the crap out of the basketball. That thing travels to every single gym, every single night you play. But collectively, across all levels, I just think Jacob Toppin could help this team out a ton. I think there's a role for Jacob Toppin on this team. They need both of them healthy. But if you ask me which one you needed more for Tuesday night, I would say Jacob Toppin. Yeah, I think so too. And I think just that front court help. Uh, like we said, what UK is going to need Jacob Toppin for uh, foul reasons, or if if Damian Collins isn't giving you enough in, at that backup five spot, or Lance Ware isn't giving you enough offensive power, or you know whatever the case is, Jacob is going to be such a you know we we're talking about plug and play guys earlier. Jacob Toppin is a plug and play player. He's going to be that defensive, that versatile. I mean, there's a reason that he got the minutes last season over guys like. Isaiah Jackson down the stretch and some, you know, Olivier Saar down the stretch because Cal could rely on him. And I think that's, that's going to be really valuable this season. Defensive versatility, that's something that Kentucky's going to really need, um, you know, with, with that front court depth that we talked about. I, I just think that there, there's going to be a lot of value there in Jacob Toppin having some minutes. And, and I'm very high on C.J. Frederick. I think he's going to have a fantastic season, uh, and he's going to have a role there as well. But I, I am I am too. I'm, I'm just getting at that defensively and, and the interior and the things that Duke could expose. I just think that Jacob Toppin is a, is a guy that if you can get him healthy and get him on the floor Tuesday night, even if it's for 10 minutes, I think it could buy you some time and help you. Yeah, I, I completely agree. All right, let's, uh, let's transition just a bit uh, into our kind of going down the home stretch of, of our show. We actually have a second segment coming on after this is Jeff Goodman, national college basketball insider. Um, he comes on and, and he talks a little bit about the cats. Great interview with him, but uh, we got to talk a little bit about recruiting and, and a Dembona making that decision that we've talked about on this show and uh, kind of what we were expecting going down the home stretch that he, he makes it official commits to UCLA, Sean. Um, it, it hurts, and I think it's something that it's it's time to address the elephant in the room. Um, one that you know you you talk to some people on Twitter, and they're like, "Oh, nothing's changed. Everything's just fine. Uh, you're you're making a, a big deal out of nothing. You're you know it's 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 no big deal whatsoever." But I I do think it's fair to acknowledge that 
uh, Kentucky is not landing their big, their, their primary big targets. They, they're just not. Kentucky is now missed on, you know, they offered uh, – Derek Lively was their first center target with an offer this offseason. He ends up at Duke. Kyle Filipowski, UK thought that they were going to be able to slide in late. And uh, after everybody and their mother knew that he was a, a heavy, 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 heavy Duke favorite, uh, he comes in and, and Kentucky comes in and, and offers him late and he commits to Duke 10 days later. Then you have a Dembona UK offers in, in August. And uh, there's a lot of talk. I had talked to people close to him back in the spring that said, dude, when he gets an offer from Kentucky, he wants to take it. He is all in on Kentucky. He is Kentucky's the only school that, that you, that it, uh, he's even interested in right now. Kentucky waits. I mean, four or five months after that fact, after that conversation to offer him a scholarship. Um, and by that point, UK was going all in on Derek Lively. And there was, you know, we talked on this show about the, the feel, not feeling prioritized conversation and those types of, of things. He ends up at UCLA. This is now three back-to-back. And then you add in Jalen Duran, you add in Kofi Coburn, you act, I mean, we're talking four or five straight misses for some reason or another. Uh, by Coach Cal in the front court. And then, you I mean, you go back last season, you go back the year before, they missed on Paolo Bancaro, who is going to be a national player of the year. They, you know, they get Damian Collins, and Damian, we're high on him. He's going to be a great player for Kentucky, but Paolo was the guy. It feels like Kentucky, for whatever reason, and I don't understand why this is, because the NBA success is there, the the dollar figures are there in the NBA, and the, you know, ad revenue and all that stuff. They're, they're, they're having success where it matters in the league, but for whatever reason, Cal's missing on these big front, these big targets, and I just, I truly don't understand why that is, Sean. And and I think it's uh, it's something to finally address. Yeah, and I don't understand it either. Is it because they're afraid that they're going to be playing beside another big, like Kentucky has done in the past, with their four and five being bigger and being parked on the block and things like that, or do they want to shoot more threes? Like I don't know. Like you know, that's not something you see from John Calipari, big man, to let them step out and take those outside shots. Uh, where do you see Damian Collins doing that now? Maybe that'll be a big thing moving forward if he's able to take that and give him a leash to shoot some shots like that. I don't, I don't really don't know. But when you go back to July, and we've recorded podcast after podcast, so Kentucky's in – they believe they're in a confident position with Jalen Duran. Oh, Kofi Coburn, like this this thing might be done. If, if Kentucky really wants it, it's done. And then you move forward and you just miss on more and more. At some point <sighs> – Look, if it happens once, man, I, you know, you can play it off as that. But it's, this has been happening for a bit. Like, this is something that's been going on that they've got to get figured out. But the transfer portal helps them today. Because if, if, they, if there wasn't a transfer portal, I'd be pretty concerned. But the ability of the transfer portal is now you can kick back and you can watch, and Kentucky fans are going to do this all year, Jack. Every single big man on a team in college basketball that is in a position where that, oh, do I still want to be here? That's the guy Kentucky fans are going to key on and say, man, that's a guy to watch in the transfer portal. Oh, this guy might be a guy to watch in transfer portal. And maybe Cal, it's maybe, I don't want to say it's like a Sabir Wheeler situation, but Cal got to see him up close and, and personal and got to see him beat Kentucky. Maybe Kentucky plays someone this year and a big man is really, really good. And that guy goes in the portal and Cal says, all right, I've seen this guy live. I don't know. But the transfer portal – I'm concerned about them not being able to land their elite big men, but with the transfer portal, I think they're always going to be able to find somebody that's good, that has college experience, but you would like to see this get fixed. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it has more to do with perception of, of you know, the cool, being the cool program in college basketball where high school seniors want to pick 
your program. And, and again, they are with, with, you know, the Shaden Sharp and Case and Wallace here next weekend or this, this coming weekend. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, you know, Chris Livingston, top four player. In the, like, we're not saying, oh, Coach Cal can't recruit anymore. It's more so saying he can recruit. Why the hell is he – why can he not land the bigs? Like, he's landing all the elite guards and wings now, but he can't land the bigs, and it makes no sense. And I went back to, to the last couple years, and I guess I, I, I went through the entire Coach Cal tenure – from 2009 to 2018, Coach Cal landed at least one, usually two, player in the front court that was at least top three in his position. Uh, mo- uh, a lot of cases, DeMarcus Cousins, Enos Cantor, Anthony Davis, Nerlens Noel, uh, Julius Randle, Dakari Johnson, and Scalabissier were all number one at their position. So at least top three, but usually t- number one at their position. That was from 2009 all the way to 2018. In 2019, Kentucky missed on all seven of its top front court targets in that class. James Wiseman, Isaiah Stewart, Vernon Carey, Nafali Dante, Oscar Shibway, Matthew Hurt, and Jaden McDaniels. All seven scholarships they extended in the front court, they got none of them. Like, Kentucky just didn't land a big that year. And, it, like, it worked out, uh, you know, with Nick Richards and E.J. Montgomery coming back for another year and those types of, of narratives. But – they still missed on seven of seven front court targets. And, and that extended into 2021. They missed on Musa Cisse and McCore Maker. Um, and then that was also at the, at the power four position. They got Scotty Barnes and they missed on Scotty Barnes, Greg Brown and Isaiah Todd. They landed Isaiah Jackson and he ended up being better than everybody kind of hyped thought he was going to be. But at the time of his commitment, he was only number 30 overall in the seventh best center in the class. So, uh, it's just it's this it's this, this string of misses that's yes they're finding the replacements but I'm not talking about the replacements Cal has done a, a great job of adjusting but it's definitely something that I think is concerning that for whatever reason that recruiting pitch to top end major you know their top targets in the front court in high school basketball they aren't buying the pitch for whatever reason. They just don't want to come to Kentucky anymore. And I think that's a conversation that it's, it's time to start having. I'm, I'm glad that Cal's been able to adjust. Shoot. They got Oscar Sheway back after missing on him in 2019. So it's still clearly working uh, on that front. And, you know, they, they landing guys like Damian Collins and, you know, getting guys like Jacob Toppin in the transfer portal and, and so on and so forth. But it's just, it's frustrating. It, it's it's really frustrating, and I think that we're trending in that same direction now. Three three of its its biggest misses in the front court this at the center position this off season, but it's it's definitely a trend at this point that I don't think is a good sign. Uh, that I, I definitely think it, it's it's time to address it at least. It is. We have to talk about it. We no longer can say, "Ah, oh, Kentucky will be just fine." Like it'll be fine. No, like this is something that's been going on for a bit and you you want to see it fixed because they've certainly got it figured out when it comes to the backcourt and the wing positions because they're killing it right now in recruiting and they're they're probably going to get another one here pretty soon. I mean, that's the that's the way it goes, but they've got to sure this thing up. I think you'd like to see the addition of Orlando Antigua coming back kind of fix those things too and and have another guy uh, and, and Chin Coleman there that can recruit as well. So uh, it certainly needs to be fixed, but it it's not as bad as what it was. Now that the portal's a thing, I think that that kind of eases the pain of it. But you do want to see Kentucky be able to get back to getting the guys like Derek Lively and and Jalen Duran and, and those elite caliber bigs that are in the top five. Yeah, Cal said it on media day. They asked him, you know, what are you planning on keeping this mindset and going for the transfer portal, or do you want to go back to getting 
the best of the best in, in high school basketball. He said, I, I think that this year is kind of a one-off thing where we're going to be a, a transfer portal heavy team. I would like to go back to that style, but. Well, and we, and the transfer portal saved them because this wasn't going to be a very good Kentucky basketball team without the transfer portal. Like it wasn't. And he needed that transfer portal to kind of set the tone and get, get the ball rolling back in the right direction. And he done that. He got a late elite guard in Tata Washington that was very underrated when it come to recruiting numbers. That was another help. And then uh, you get Damian Collins and Bryce Hopkins, and you, you hope that they keep living up and kind of tapping into that potential that they have. It, it's it's going to be a good year, but the transfer portal definitely saved him. I just don't think that that's something he's going to rely on moving forward. It's going to be more of a plug and fill as you need. Do you need a guard coming off your bench? Do you need a backup point guard? Do you need a starting big man? I think that that's the kind of questions that Cal's going to look at in the spring. And the, the beauty of it is once that signing period is up in November, you can kind of identify and say, okay, is there anyone left that we're targeting or all these guys off the board? Now we can focus on and say, all right, we need a big man. Who You also have the ability to see who comes back and how the season plays out. Is Oscar Shibway another year, another year guy at UK? Is Damian Collins a one and done? You have the ability to look and see that and then kind of identify what your options are. I, I think it's going to be a one-piece thing with the transfer portal every single year. They're going to get at least one, possibly two, depending on depth. Yeah, I think that's the way they're going to do it. They're going to look at Sheboy. They're going to look at Collins. They're going to look at Lance Ware. Say, are there any any of these guys going to be draft guys? Are any of them potential transfer guys? Lance Ware kind of being that. Uh, is he going to stick around as, a, as another bench? Well, is he going to want to go somewhere else? You could have that mid-year guy, too, that enrolls in your program like Oscar Sheboy did. You could have that advantage. You could see someone in December and say, all right, they're hitting the portal second semester. And then they get in your program and they practice with your team. Like, that that's the way that – and we don't really know the impact of the transfer portal on college basketball yet. We see it with football, with Kentucky football, how they benefited from it. You're seeing Kentucky already benefiting from it from this offseason – and now what they have on this roster, but we don't know how crazy it's going to be throughout the season. You know, like Taj Harris right now from Syracuse, the transfer wide receiver in football, taking visits to Kentucky. We're going to, are we going to see that same pattern play out in college basketball? November will tell the tale. If guys start going in the portal early in December, you're going to have some chaos and some craziness. You're going to have to continue to recruit even though the season's in play. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm right there with you. I think um, it, it's – I, I, I feel like Kentucky fans kind of when I put that article out there that they were, you know, kind of threw a fit like I was saying that Coach Cal's lost his recruiting touch and all that. And it's like he's doing fine. I'm just addressing the elephant in the room that put the, we're calling a spade a spade. The numbers are what they are. They're missing, and it's okay. like it's okay. I'm not. I mean, I don't think it's okay personally. I, but he's been able able to adjust. I'm not saying that Coach Cal needs to lose his job or that he's just no longer the the recruiting magical touch guy that he once was. I'm just calling a spade a spade, looking at the numbers and seeing the guys that they've missed out on, and, and acknowledging the fact that they just aren't landing the the players that they want in the front court and they're having to adjust. We wouldn't have to wait for a Kofi Coburn to hit the portal this, this coming off season. We wouldn't have to hope that an Oscar Sheboy gets disgruntled at his, you know, other school and, and, and want to end up at Kentucky. You hope that one of those guys, you know, becomes available, but right now there isn't. And I think that's the issue is they missed out on the guys that they wanted from the start. And now they're going to have to hope 
that a Kofi Coburn or an Oscar Sheway becomes available because as of right now, the other reclass options in 23 aren't very good at all. There's no other 2022 guys that are worth sniffing. Like the only option Kentucky has right now is Oscar Sheway comes back and you go, thank God, you know, that's the best case scenario. But if in the off chance he leaves or Damon Collins is ready or Lance Ware transfers, Kentucky might have a, a situation on their hands where they have to take a couple of bigs and they have to be really, really good bigs or uh, this this kind of big puzzle of Shaden Sharp being amazing and Cason Car- Wallace coming in and Chris Livingston and Sky Clark and all that. Like the optimism around that might not be what it once was because they couldn't land that anchoring piece in the middle. That's the issue. It's just the, the uncertainty factor. Will they probably land somebody? Yes. Cal has done it. He has. You have to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and give him credit where it's due. But it's also, I think, fair to call a spade a spade and say that there are misses and it's become a, a legitimate trend. Um, Case uh, and Wallace commits on Sunday. I think, Sean, the expectation from everybody and their mother is that he will be committing to the University of Kentucky. Uh, real quick, let's get out of here with this. What, uh, what does Case and Wallace bring to the table and why should Kentucky fans be excited about his potential addition? energy and to me he has all the tools to be an elite two-way player and you know what you're getting from him on defense he's going to be a guy jack that's going to run the four and transition he can block shots at the rim and transition like some of the guards like kentucky's had in the past that you see go pin one on the glass i just love his energy and uh, his ability to play multiple spots on the perimeter offensively I, i think when you talk about the guys that they put in this class who do they have come back I think he's a guy that's going to fit in well at Kentucky if, if that's indeed what he does uh, with his commitment. But I just love his potential as a, as a two-way guy. I know the offensive stuff, you want to see it come along a little more, but the defensive energy and effort is there that if he does find a consistent jumper and making plays offensively, then this could be a guy that could be a really good two-way player at the collegiate level. Yeah, I'm a big, big, huge fan. You talk to people around the Kentucky program, and when UK was going all in on him and extending the offer and watching him at Peach Jam and those other settings, uh, you, you heard winning over and over again. He, he, they said, just watch him play. Whatever team he's a part of, it could be you know playing on the EYBL circuit. It could be, be it, it, in high school. It could be at some stupid MBPA Top 100 camp. Every single setting that he is in, he wins games. That's just the fact of the matter. He always finds ways to win, win games. Um, and I think that's why there's such an intrigue with him. I think he's versatile enough to play one through three. I think ideally he's going to be, I don't know if you want him to be the on the main on ball guy. Um, but I, I think that as that two or three, that, 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 off-ball option, kind of like that position Isaiah Briscoe played in 2016-17 where, you know, next to um, De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, you want him – he's going to be that kind of – that stopgap guy. He's going to fill in those those gaps uh, that I think that there's, there's a ton of value in that and he's going to really fit that role very well should he end up committing. And I, I do think that the expectation right now, you ask people around the U.K. program that it, he will end up at Kentucky. I don't know if – I don't think – Tennessee's thought they've been in this for a month now. I think they've thought that they've been out for a month now, and, and Texas doesn't think that they're going to land him. You know, he's not going to UTSA. I, I just I, – I don't think it's even a surprise at this point that he's going to end up at Kentucky. So, Kentucky fans should definitely be excited about that. Keep an eye on Robert Dillingham for the class of 2023 as a maybe – 
potential reclass guy. That's somebody that uh, Kentucky's in very, very strong position with, and I think that we could see a commitment from him pop sooner rather than later. And uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up making that jump, but he would be a two um, – he's going to be in that Amani Bates situation where he's too young to – go to the draft after one year so he could be that very unique spot as a uh, you know kind of a red shirt get used to you know get used to the ropes underneath guys like Sky Clark and Shaden Sharp and and Cason Wallace uh, kind of find find himself as a college basketball player and then really take over the following year uh, I think that UK might get him as a as a two-year player and I think that'd be a phenomenal situation so keep a close eye on him at least on just a service level as a, as a commitment worry about reclass down the road but at least as a as a commitment I think Kentucky's in a fantastic spot for him he's a top 10 prospect a really really fantastic player so uh, miss miss on a Dembona plenty of reason for criticisms and 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 uh, you know worry on that front but plenty of other reason for optimism elsewhere uh, rec- recruiting's not going anywhere coach Cal's going to get it done and uh, there's reason for excitement Sean absolutely Absolutely. So you could get very, very good news and then right into the Duke matchup. I mean, this could be a could be a, definitely going to be a big news week coming up, but it could be a lot of positives, hopefully positives. If uh, Kentucky can win a recruiting battle and then beat Duke Tuesday night, man. Yeah, could be a could be a fun week. A lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. We're going to horses will be saying that is for sure. I, I promise. I know we we've we've kind of been uh, uh, over overhyping how often we were going to do this show or, you know, with you being sick and some back and forth scheduling issues, I promise, I promise we will have our normal schedule or we're going to have our post game, uh, our post game shows after games. And we're going to have our, uh, you know, obviously commitment post commitment art, uh, you know, podcast, whenever, you know, case and Wallace commits. And then obviously we're going to be up there in New York together for the uh, champions classic. So we're going to have, back-to-back-to-back podcast coming. You guys are going to love it. We are going to love doing it for you, and we're definitely excited for all of it. Sean, I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. As always, where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. You can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another Jam Pack Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. We are now happy to be joined by college basketball insider Jeff Goodman. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jack. What's up, man? We're, uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, I know. So we had you on last fall uh to talk about uh you know you you had a little bit of a a polarizing uh take on the cats going into last season and you ended up being correct so i wanted to give you this this little platform to take your little victory lap of i don't uh, need a victory lap i don't i don't need that trust me again it was funny because i remember writing it about duke and kentucky that day of of like either the the day of the champions classic or the day before and, and saying I didn't think either team would be great, and, and largely because, and I don't know if you remember this, this was my biggest point was, listen, the talent was one thing. I didn't think either team had a lottery pick, but it was more that they lost the preseason and freshman-laden teams because of the pandemic who didn't have the preseason, I thought were, were screwed. And as it turns out, um, that part I was right about, and, and obviously Kentucky's freshman class wasn't nearly as good as as a lot of people thought it would was going to be. 
Yeah, I remember my biggest rebuttal to that was, well, you have Olivier Saar, who did so well at Wake Forest. Yeah. And you had, yeah. you know, Davion Mintz, who was yeah. such a, you know, plug-and-play, you know, glue yeah. guy with Creighton. You had all these – and then yeah. it just uh, – there was just not enough there with the freshman class and Olivier Saar. Well, Saar wasn't – listen, if Saar was that good, we know now he would have went to the pros. Right. If Mintz was that good, Creighton would have started him a year ago. He would – you know, like, there were just – there were a lot of red flags with that team last year. I, I don't have many of those red flags this year, so Kentucky fans will be uh, will be happy to hear I'm very, very, very high on this on this Cats team. Well, and that kind of brings me to my next point. You have a very love hate relationship with Kentucky fans. I think when you talk down on Kentucky in the program and your expectations are low, they come at you as they did last off season and say, "Oh, Jeff, you're the biggest idiot on the planet." You know. Right screw you, you know, all those takes. And then as we see this going into this season, you're quite high on the Cats. And I want to talk because you, I saw you at, at media day and then you were there for the blue-white game. Uh, so let's kind of just talk overall takeaways with both of those two things. But starting with media day, because I know there's not, no basketball to see, but the, the tone of the coaching staff, the tone of the, the players and, and just kind of the overall vibe – I've caught very quickly that the just the team synergy and the the overall po optimism, positivity around the program is night and day from last season. I think you got that same uh, feel. Yeah, I, I fell in love with the team. I did. I honestly fell in love with every damn player that I talked to, and I knew some of them already. Right? I knew Kellen Grady. He's from Massachusetts, and as I've told people, Kellen Grady might be the smartest damn kid I've I've ever talked to in college. Uh, he, he is like that level of intelligence. And um, thoughtfulness, everything. He's he's awesome to talk to. Severe Wheeler, who I knew and, and broke the, uh, you know, when he transferred from Georgia to Kentucky, know him as well. But getting a chance to talk to some of the other kids, like Damian Collins is the sweetest kid in the world. And uh, it, it's cool talking to him because, you know, he's not as probably media savvy as the rest of the group. But, man, I, I just, again, just super sweet. Ty Ty fell in love with on and off the court. First it was off the court and, and then it was on. And we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, you know, Keon really liked talking to him. Had never really dealt with him all that much. It was just one after the other that honestly, um, and part of it is again, listen, we haven't had a chance to get to know not just Kentucky players, but remember last year I spent four days in the Mohegan Sun bubble at the beginning of the year. Then three weeks at the end of the year at the NCAA tournament. The only other game I went to, Jack, throughout the whole year was I went to a Merrimack College Wagner game <laughs> that's 20 minutes from my house. I took my daughter. We sat at the top of the bleachers. Nobody else was in the, the basically in the arena. I mean, gym, it's not an arena. I don't know, it holds like probably a thousand people. <laughs> and that was the only other game I saw in person. So to be out, to be talking to these kids, and you could tell they're happy to be talking to us. And that's a big difference for me. I mean, it's – it's. listen, I, I was at the Celtics game the other night, Celtics-Bulls, and after the game, you know, I talked to Billy Donovan for a while, talked to a couple of the players. But it's just – it's it's so different talking to NBA players, it is, college players, especially this year after the pandemic. And this Kentucky team, I'm telling you, they are – they're Oscar. We haven't even talked about Oscar. He's like the star of the show. Like, I could have sat there all day listening – to, to Oscar just, you know, smile and his one-liners about the fact that nobody's going to get a rebound from him in practice and nobody can. And 
So it, it was awesome. I mean, I honestly, I love, I love this team. I know the vibe with the coaching staff last season, you know, they made the coaching changes this off season and, and you could really see that coach Cal, it was probably the lowest of lows that he's ever had. I mean, you, you, you do these zoom interviews with him at the end of the year and you'd ask questions like, well, what's wrong this time? Why, how did this loss? And, and there was just such a defeat, like of just the, Defeatist attitude. Yeah, it was like yeah. he had no answers by the end of the season. And it, you could really tell that now his mindset is just complete night and day versus what he had last season. What did you – what kind of vibe did you get from him? And, you know, I know you talked to Orlando Antigua, and I know that he was a yeah. part of your uh, preseason chat when you were pre previewing Kentucky. Uh, just kind of the, the overall vibe with this coaching staff compared to last season. Yeah, and I actually sat down with Cal. Uh, first time in 13 years that I sat down. I hadn't had a real conversation with John Calipari since 2008. Um, so we had a chance to talk, which was great. Part of the reason that I came to Lexington, spent three days there. Uh, got in three races at Keeneland as well. So that was like a bucket list thing for me. Yeah. Uh, but I just felt like, yeah, Cal turning the page. And again, the, the hard thing for people to understand, again, now I'm not saying Kentucky was going to be great last year. I, I don't think they were going to be great. But they would have been a lot better had there not been a pandemic, had they been able to work with their players, um, you know, in, in the summer, um, had they been able to been around their players and, and enjoy like a Kentucky normal experience. But listen, that's the way for everybody last year. So you can't really uh, throw it their way and not throw it the other way of, of other coaches and other programs as well. So this staff is obviously different. Um, I think Cal probably needed Orlando Antigua back familiarity. And listen, Antigua and Chin did an incredible job recruiting at Illinois. And I think that was a big part of it. Cal looked at the team and said, we probably made some mistakes recruiting-wise. But listen, the biggest thing I loved was them going the transfer portal and getting four transfers, experience, and shooting. C.J. Frederick and Kellen Grady to go along with Ty Ty. They finally have shooting. Like, I've said this for years, and I don't understand it, why Kentucky didn't always have two of the better shooters in the country. And, and now they have probably three of the better shooters in the country, uh, along with experience with four guys that come in that have done it, that can teach some of these young guys. So I, I love the makeup of this team, and I think Cal does too. Although, if you remember, I think I asked the question, and we talked about it again one-on-one, -on -one, but in the, uh, uh, you know, the media day about if, if this works, basically, was this planned? Is this something that he's going to start to do every year and going the transfer route like so many other high major coaches are? Um, and he didn't really commit to it. And I was kind of surprised, but he was like, hey, this was more out of necessity this year, and we'll see next year. But I think if they do well this year, you'll absolutely see Cal go, you know, two, three, four transfers again next year. I know – you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other transfers here in a minute, but Ty Ty is the guy that you were just absolutely glowing about after the fact during, you know, talking to you during the, during the uh, media day and then blue white game, you saw that. And, and he's only begun to, uh, you know, grow since then. What is it about Ty Ty that you like with his personality and, and kind of his, his, per, you know, what he brings to the table off the court and then how that you think translates to his play on the court? I mean, you start with it. He's super unselfish. Right. I mean, on and off the court, you can tell all his teammates love him. He's not about Ty Ty at all. He's about the team. And then on the court, his game is just so damn mature. You know, like he, he doesn't get sped up. 
he could score at all three levels. He could shoot it from deep. He's got a great floater. He can finish around the basket because he's big and strong. Not the greatest athlete in the world, but knows how to play. And, and the biggest thing that stood out to me, Jack, was, was his passing and his court vision. Like, I didn't know he could do that. But you put him with Sevier, and it's, it's a perfect combo because, you know, Sevier is not the greatest shooter. Uh, I think he'll be in the low 30s from three this year. That would be my guess, somewhere around 33, which is fine. They'll go under every ball screen on him. But you put those two together, and then you give him one more shooter on the wing. And, and I think Oscar obviously has got to play 30 minutes or close to it down low, and, and that's going to be a key. But, uh, and then Ty Ty off the court, uh, a funny story. I don't, were you there at the end of the blue-white when uh, usually you might have left already, but he got up from doing his kind of media deal Afterwards. I was there. I was there. I was there. I love that part. Yeah. So usually guys get up guards and I want to see how tall they really are. Right. I'm about six, three. And I just kind of want to get up next to him and just see for my own, you know, how big there's a big guard tie tie, but how big are you really? So I go up to him and I'm like, Hey, you know, so I, sit, right, I stood next to him. I'm like, what are you six, five? And he went crazy. He was so excited when I said he was 6'5", I didn't know they list him at like 6'3". And he's like, I'm 6'5". I'm like, all right, all right, let's not get carried away. I'll give you 6'4". <laughs> How about that? I'll give you 6'4". You're definitely taller than me. And I guess he's, he walked in the locker room after that and started yelling. You know, I'm 6'5". I'm 6'5". You know, somebody said I'm 6'5". So he's just got that infectious, fun-loving personality. But you can tell when he's on the court, he's got some killer in him too. I liked uh, after the fact he was going up to the media people and going, look, when you write, you need to write 6'4". And then uh, he's yeah. going to the SIDs and going, see, yeah. on my official bio, it needs to say six foot four. You, you, I, I love that. But yes. I, I thought there was, there was a little bit of a, the, the, the decision to bring in Saver Wheeler was a little bit uh, you know, polarizing whenever yeah. Coach Cal decided to do that because, yes, he led the SEC in, in assist, assist-to-turnover ratio. Yeah. He's arguably the best playmaker in the SEC, maybe even college basketball. But the dude averaged 4.4 turnovers a game, shot 22.5% from three. It, it felt like the, the reason why I wasn't as high on the move when it happened was you Cal builds this roster, as you talked about, of, of all shooting talent. The, you already add Kellen Grady. You add C.J. Frederick. You already have Ty Ty Washington. Dante Allen comes back from last season. You build this roster around – shooters and and want this to be a, a shoot first type team yeah. and then you bring in a guy that can't shoot and then it so at first I was I was very confused yeah. with the move I wasn't high on it at all and then seeing it with my own two eyes and seeing the vision of okay well somebody has to put the ball in those shooters hands and you get the best person in college basketball to do that talk about you know what you think of, of Cyber Wheeler as a playmaker and, and his fit with this uh with this roster right now I mean it's speed Right. I mean, you need speed these days and, and, and Wheeler can really, really push it and he can apply pressure defensively as well. So I just think you two point guards that can play together is the best way. If you look at all the teams, for the most part, who have won national titles, even last year. Right. Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, you better have two point guards. If you don't have a good point guard situation, you have no chance. So to me, what this does is also it allowed Cal to say, like, all right, I like Tata. But I don't know. I mean, listen, I liked Devin Askew last year. It didn't work out. They wish they probably had a severe wheeler next to Devin Askew last year because then they wouldn't have had to put all this pressure on Askew. Uh, and by the way, Devin's doing well. I saw him in, in, in Austin, Texas, and great kid. 
I know he got a tough go in, in Lexington. And I think part of it was on him that he wasn't ready, but part of it was he didn't have enough around him. Anyway, uh, not to get off track. I, I think Wheeler's a guy, again, that's different, that can run the team, that can get everybody um, their shots where they need to get them. And, yes, does he have to cut down on turnovers? Absolutely. But I think he's got so many weapons. He had nothing at Georgia. Georgia was awful. So now he's playing with a bunch of weapons that can shoot the ball. He knows that's the biggest thing right now is average 10 a game, but lead the country in assists and, and win. And, and that's what I've talked to him about is like, now you're going to be relevant. You were not relevant at all. Nobody cared what you did numbers-wise last year because nobody was paying attention to Georgia Bulldogs basketball. So now you've got a chance to, to be a winner, change that kind of, you know, that mindset on, on who you are and what you've done. And, um, again, the biggest thing will, with him will be cutting down on some of the dumb turnovers and obviously making and taking uh, open threes because they're not going to guard him. Davion Mintz is a guy that uh, when he signed with Kentucky – you talk to people around the program, coaching staff, uh, they were hyping him up as the perfect fit, thought that he, yeah. with, with what he was going to bring to the table, ideally he was going to be the, the uh, placeholder for uh, at the point guard position until De- Devin Askew was ready. They were going to bring him in. He was going to kind of start the show, and then De- Devin Askew was going to finish it leading into March, going into you know, postseason play, so on and so forth. Devin Askew never turned it around. The playmakers around him didn't end up being playmakers. And Davion Mintz, I think, was forced into a role that that's not what he was signed to do. But I thought he thrived in that role given to him. I think now that you have Xavier Wheeler, you have Ty Ty Washington, you have other standout guys, I think that this team is now built for a guy like Davion Mintz. And he's able to be the role that I think they originally signed him to play uh, last offseason. What do you think of Davion Mintz and kind of what his role is with this team and, and how do you think he's going to contribute to uh, this roster? I mean, I think he's a solid piece. And, and I think that's the beautiful part of this Kentucky team, right? I think you've got a star in Ty Ty. Uh, I think you've got, you know, good, good guards, good wings who can shoot. No shortage of those. Again, I mentioned Frederick and Kellen Grady and Ty Ty as shooters. Davion Mintz can shoot the hell out of the ball too. So you really have four guys. And then I don't know how much – Dante Allen's going to play. I mean, I have no idea at that point. I, I, I just don't know if I see him playing a whole heck of a lot. Uh, but, you know, and I think Mintz probably plays less. I mean, I'd be shocked if he doesn't play less than he did last year and average less. But I think the beauty of this for Cal is he can figure out different lineups um, and different guys. If they're on, you, you can ride the hot hand with, with some of these shooters. If they're not and it's a bad matchup for him, um, defensively maybe, then you go with the other guys. So I think it's going to be different guys for the most part every night other than I, I just can't see Ty Ty and Oscar not playing a ton at the end of the day. And, and Severe should as long as, again, he's, he's taking care of the ball and making enough shots. But, again, he's got so many guys around him that can make shots. It's almost like all you got to do is, is not be Rondo. Right? Like, take it and make a few. You don't have to make a ton. I know you're high on Oscar Sheboy, but there's a, there's, if there's one question about this roster is where does that depth come from in the front court? Is it enough? Yeah. UK flirted with Kofi Coburn. They pushed hard for Jalen Duren this offseason. But um, I think Cal ultimately decided that what he had right now was enough. But 
I still have my questions. Is, Dave, is Damian Collins going to be enough? Is he ready for this moment? What's Lance Ware going to provide for you? Uh, you? You know, Jacob Toppin, where does he fit in? Is Bryce Hopkins going to be a three or a four? That front court, I think, is the biggest question mark on this roster. What do you think of, of it? Do you, I know you're high on Oscar, but those other pieces, do you think that this is enough to uh, kind of make this a, a complete team? I'm high on Oscar because, again, he can rebound the ball, right? I, I'm not high on Oscar if you're going to tell him, all right, you can go out there and shoot 18-footers. And, and that was the one thing that worried me a little bit about media day was Oscar talking about how he left West Virginia and went to Kentucky to get more freedom to be able to step out and do more things. Like, hey, Oscar, what they're going to need you to do is just patrol the paint, rebound, you know, be a, somewhat of a rim protector, and run the court hard and beat bigs down the other court. And, and again, you know, play hard, be a physical presence and intimidating presence. That's what I think they need Oscar to do. But, but again, listen, if he does all those things, does Cal reward him and say, yeah, you know what? You can shoot it from 18 a couple times a game. I'm okay with that. If you do all the other things that we need you to do, maybe. Um, but yeah, it, it, Oscar is probably the most important guy on this team because if you lose him, yeah, I thought Damian Collins, I hadn't seen him before. I thought he was built more like Isaiah Jackson, and he's not, right? He's only, what, 6'9", 200 pounds, probably soaking wet. Yes, he can go up against some SEC five men, probably a good amount, actually. I think he'll be okay for 15 minutes in the SEC. But what if you run into, in the NCAA tournament, Kofi Coburn? What if you run into Michigan and Hunter Dickinson? or Purdue, and Zach Eady, and Trivion Williams. Um, you know, that's when you have to have Oscar. So, like, he's the most important guy uh, really on the team, in, in a sense, because if you lose him, your rebounding really becomes a major, major concern. So he's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay out of foul trouble. And if I'm uh, Cal, I'm making sure Damian Collins is eating as many of those damn shakes as he can right now. I know you have Kentucky listed at number nine overall in your preseason rankings. Um, definitely, I changed them. I changed. What are they now? They're coming out. They're coming out as we speak, and uh, I, I have Kentucky at number four. Oh wow! Okay, number four. Okay, I do. I just again after I've seen probably about twelve teams, and most of them being top twenty-five teams in person already. And and again, it's a crapshoot. As we know, at this time of year, you don't know because of chemistry and, and, and all those other things. This year, we probably know less than ever um, because we haven't seen the freshmen. We didn't see them on the circuit uh, in July two years ago. So I had no idea. Hopkins, like I knew nothing about him. You know, again, I hadn't seen Tata in person. Um, maybe I'd seen him once and I, I had seen him once, but it had been a while. So it, it's tough to do these rankings. But when I look at Kentucky, Compared to some of the other teams that I'm looking at, like I'm looking at uh, Kansas, for instance, and I put them ahead of Kansas just now because I think I like their point guard situation better than Kansas's. I, I like Ty Ty and Wheeler better than I like Remy Martin and whatever else Kansas is going to do. I like it better than I like Purdue. Purdue's got better bigs. They definitely do. Zach Eady's a monster and, and Trevion Williams terrific. But again, point guard played for me is the determining factor in being able to get to a Final Four and win a national title. And I really do think Kentucky has, again, what it takes to be in the equation. And that's all you want to be, right? Be in the equation, but they've got point guard play. They've got shooters. They've got experience. They've got a star, in my opinion, in Tata. They've got a big-time physical presence in Oscar. Um, 
Yeah, and, and they got good chemistry from all, all that it appears right now. Again, good chemistry is one thing in the preseason. Really, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, when you're doling out minutes, that's when you see how good the chemistry is on this team. Uh, Tuesday is kind of the big hoorah, everything what, we, we, what we've been waiting for. I was there last season in, in the Indianapolis. It was like a big warehouse. It was the worst college basketball environment I've ever been a part of. You could hear the yeah. echo of the, of the shoes squeaking and the ball dribbling. The absolute worst. Uh, it feels like all of that pain and suffering leads up to this big moment for everybody, just the whole college yeah. basketball world, to get this event again. Uh, what are your expectations? I know you wrote on Twitter last night that uh, you – thought that Kentucky was going to come out on top over Duke. What are your kind of early uh, impressions of Duke and that matchup and, and how Kentucky fares in that one? Yeah, I mean, I think Duke's got some veterans coming back, and, and I think they have arguably the best freshman in the country in, in Paulo Bencaro. If people haven't seen him, man, he's, he's, he's the a one. beast. He's the one. He is a beast. You've seen him, Jack. I've seen him multiple times. I actually saw him at a high school game in Seattle um, two years ago and walked away being like Chris Weber. Yeah, that's the guy. And you're, you're a little young to, to remember the early Chris Weber, but the dude was now Weber was only like 225. Vancouver is like 260 and he's a man child and he can do a lot of the same things Weber can do. He can take it off the glass to go with it. He can rebound. He can shoot it from the perimeter. He can pass it. So that's the big uh, concern for me is how do they match up with, with Vancouver. But I think again, the biggest question mark I have and why I have Duke at like 15 in the preseason point guard play. I don't know who it's going to be. I mean, it wasn't great last year. And what do they do this year? Wendell Moore, you know, AJ Griffin. I don't know what they're going to end up doing, but to me, it's a major concern for me. Dukes, they're not even older. I mean, normally you'd look at it and say like, all right, Duke's older. Yeah. They're older in a sense that a lot of their players are back, I guess, that played some some key minutes or some minutes last year. But if you look at it, I bet you Kentucky has more overall experience. I mean, Kellen Grady's played a lot. C.J. Frederick's played a good amount. Oscar's obviously played a good amount. Severe. So I, I think they probably got more experience in Duke, and I just like their team better. I, I really do, and it starts with point guard play. I know the U.K. is the 1.5-point underdog. What is your – you're you're a bookie for uh, this evening. What name your name your final score? Or yeah, I'm taking the money line with Kentucky for sure, and uh, I don't know what the final score is of this. I don't know if I don't know how well these two teams are going to be defensively out of the gate. And, and again, you always wor worry the Garden, right? The nerves of playing at the Garden for a lot of these kids. You know, whether it's freshmen, whether it's transfers that have never, you know, Sevier Wheel has never played in a game like this. You know, he's played in a bunch of meaningless basketball games for the most part. So I'll go 75-71 Kentucky at the end of the day. I don't know. You know, again, it'll be interesting to see defensively what these two teams bring to the table. But, man, I cannot wait uh, for the atmosphere, the garden, Duke-Kentucky. You know, the, the undercard is pretty damn good. Kansas-Michigan State and uh, – and then I hit the road after that. I'm going to go out, out west next week, too, and, and hit uh, UCLA. Villanova plays UCLA Friday night, and then I'm going to fly Texas plays Gonzaga Saturday. And those are like four of my top six teams. So legitimately, I'll have seen all of the top you know six teams by the end of next week, which would be kind of uh, nice to, to get a better feel. Let's get you out of here with this. I know 
you made some headlines with the Shaden Sharp is going to be better than Zion Williamson quote that you put out there. And, and I, I need I, to explain <laughs> this. I, good. That's why I wanted you to yeah. come on here. Um, Shaden, there's some talk that he may be in a mid-year enrollee. I've talked to people close to Shaden, yeah. and they are very, very uh, high on that possibility. They are, if you ask them, they say that he's going to sit out this year, the, the second semester, then play uh, next year. But I still question uh, th- that if, if they can find some loophole to get him eligible for that 2022 draft. I just don't see how he doesn't play that second semester. But uh, talk uh, first about that quote of uh, Shaden being better than Zion Williamson, because I know that's one that Kentucky fans are quite a fan of. And then uh, just kind of uh, what you know about the Shaden Sharp thing and, and what his impact would be in – the spring semester versus that 2022-2023 season? All right, so first of all, I, I know nothing about the Shaden Sharp situation at Kentucky. All right, I know nothing. I know he may enroll. I don't know if he'll play or not. You know, again, to me, that's a scary proposition in, in, in two ways. If he plays, man, Kentucky with Tata and Shaden would be ridiculous. But on number two, like to bring in a guy mid-year like that, throw him in who's a freshman who's never played – you're changing the chemistry of the team if they're already winning and doing well. Plus, there's a learning curve there. I just don't think it's a good situation for anybody. Um, all right, when it comes to Shaden, that he's better than Zion. So here's what I think. I, I do think he's going to be better than Zion. Now, will he impact college basketball in the same way Zion did, where he was so electrifying? I mean, Zion was like a human, you know, again, he's a highlight film. But the problem I had with Zion at Duke was you can't give the ball to Zion Williamson and say, hey, go make a play. They had to do that with R.J. Barrett. So that's the difference. That's where I was trying to say Shaden Sharp's going to have a bigger impact on winning for Kentucky. And I do think he's going to be a better pro than Zion Williamson. I really do. Because, again, Shaden Sharp's what? Big, strong, athletic, good shooter. Not a great shooter yet, but good. Super athletic can really get to the basket and score around the basket. Um, And and I think he'll be a really good defender when he puts his mind to it also. I I just – listen, again, Zion was special. He was absolutely special. He was fun to watch. Uh, I hope he gets healthy. But the difference is you need a guy to give the ball to and go make a play at the end of a shot clock. Zion Williamson couldn't do that. He can't do that. Shaden Sharp can. He is what you need to try to win games – Close games. Um, again, you had to have somebody else do that for Duke. I remember watching at Peach Jam, there was one play. Uh, I think I told the story before on, on this podcast, but this was to open the live period. Coach Cal was sitting there with Orlando Antigua and Jay Lucas side by side. And there was one play. I've never seen Cal do this. It was a it was a uh, like a double crossover dribble, step back in the left corner, almost behind the basket, and yeah. went up, and, it, and he drilled it with a hand in his face. It was the most ridiculous shot I've ever seen. And Cal stood up and went, woo, and, like, did an audible clap. I've never seen uh, – <laughs> yeah. this was, he wasn't even committed by then. So, for I've never seen – Cal react like that to a to a player, yeah. and you were at Peach Jam, so you saw a lot of these same oh. plays. The dude is, I mean, he's he's next level, special. good man. He's special. I don't know him. I've never talked to him, so I don't know his makeup yet. The mental part. Of it. I've heard great things about him as a kid, so I, I think that's part of it too. I again, I just, I just think he's so different in what you need. Where Zion wasn't necessarily the guy. Yes, he could take over a game. But you just couldn't give him the ball at the end of a game and just say, hey, 
go get us a win, make us a play. I mean, you can try to throw it to him down the post, but they could double him and take him out of the the, the play. It's hard to do that with Shaden Sharp. So, and I think Shaden Sharp again. I think he's going to be a star. He may not put up the same numbers as Zion because Zion did put up ridiculous numbers at Duke. Just depends on who Shaden plays with. Let's get you out of here with this one. Say he enrolls early, he practices the the spring semester. What does that development do for a, a guy like Shaden Sharp, where he can get into the college system, he can practice, he can be with uh, you know the strength and conditioning program, those type, those types of things. What does that do for a player of Shaden's caliber? You're already high on him as a just coming in from day one and playing. What do you think that extra semester of work could do for a guy of of his caliber? I mean, huge. It's why you see it in football all the time now, right? Enroll early because, number one, you get used to the campus, the the academic part of it. Like, it's not a lot to take in next year. He's going to be, like, not a veteran, but, you know, he'll already know exactly what's expected. Then he's been in practice. He knows what Cal expects. Maybe the system, although the system could change next year, obviously, Um you know, depending on what they have, if they have shooters like they have this year and what else they have around them. But, yeah, I, I, I think it, it would be a huge advantage for him and for Kentucky next year. I, I would love to see him do that. Enroll, take classes, get up to speed, and then come out like a man possessed uh, next season. And I think he will be. Jeff, this was a lot of fun, man. I appreciate you as always. And uh, I'm glad Kentucky fans are on your good side here for for. Uh, I don't know if they are. I, you know, <laughs> my problem is now when I rank them high, and I've done this before plenty of times, I ranked them number one preseason. And then it's always like, well, now Goodman's just trying to set us up to fail. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't win. No matter what I do, I cannot win. I love this team. I'm good with John Calipari now. We, we, we had a long conversation. And uh, I'm, we're not best buddies, but we're good. We're good. So I'm. Listen. Next step, uh, come back to Lexington, and uh, you know maybe we'll head over to Lex Live together, and and we'll we'll meet some more uh, Kentucky fans, and they can see I'm not a complete asshole. <laughs> thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you. You got it, Jack. Take care, man. Yeah, thank you. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and 
Vermont, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.